Hello and welcome to Things Unseen, the podcast for people of faith and those who are intrigued by the spiritual dimension to life. I'm Liz Adikunli, former Archdeacon of Hackney, writer and chaplain to His Majesty the King. I'm curious about everything, and as a priest who has grown up in the Christian church, I'm intrigued to hear about how people are guided by their faith, particularly through difficult times. My guest today is Dr Amos Ogunkoya, star of the hit reality TV show The Traitors. And as if that wasn't enough, he's had a successful career as a GP and has recently been announced as the club doctor for Luton Town for their first team, which makes him, I believe, the youngest first team club doctor in the Premier League. Welcome to you. Hi. Hi. Yeah, it's weird when you say stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, Honestly, it's wonderful to have you. And firstly, congratulations on the new role, which is really great news. It's exciting. I'm really excited and... It's been a baptism of fire, but, you know, it's been, it's going to be great. Well, I'd like to get straight into it and start yeah. with The Traitors, yeah. which was a runaway hit last year. And the premise for the people who haven't seen this is that a group of contestants are divided into two, traitors and faithfuls. The small group of traitors must work together to eliminate the other contestants, while faithfuls are working to discover who the traitors are. And needless to say, there are so many twists and turns in this series. I was gripped, I must confess. It was, you know, very exciting. What made you want to take part in the show? Essentially, it's a difficult one because for me, it was the sense of adventure. I had a couple of years of the pandemic as being a GP in training whereby I spent a lot of time front line. And by the time I finished my GP training, it was kind of time to breathe. And I just decided for that year, anything that comes up, I'm just going to say yes. And this opportunity came along and I was scared a little bit about the premise of the show because of the fact that it seemed a little bit like, obviously it's the reliant on deceit, it's relying on lying and and that worried me a little bit. But I decided I wanted to get involved in it just because I wanted, I just wanted the adventure. Mm. And when we got there, I realised how big the show was going to be. And that kind of dawned on me that I would have a platform for me, if that makes sense. It really does. And actually... Post-lockdown, so many people wanted adventure and change, oh, didn't they? We had a, just a time to kind of assess, really. Yeah. So you mentioned you were a bit worried about the mm-hmm. deceit. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of it, isn't there? There's deceit, there's turmoil, yeah. <laughs> there's betrayal, wrongful accusations. I mean, there's good stuff too. Yeah. But tell me a bit about what worried you about that. I actually saw it a bit of a challenge of my views and how I am. And I knew this was a show whereby... I get to see what I'm like. It would be stressful. I mean, they kept saying it was stressful. We didn't realise how stressful it was going to be. We had a lot of psychoanalysis beforehand. And I thought, oh, why are they doing so much? It's just going to be, I'm not going to take it seriously. And that's another thing. Whenever I used to watch like reality TV shows and I was like, oh, they can't love each other that much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in the matter of two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely can. <laughs> and I honestly will never say that again because you're just, its we call it a trauma bond. You're just together. There was the a time. lot of that, wasn't there? I would die for this person. Yeah, but you <laughs> would. Like when I got murdered, it was really weird because I was watching people's reactions and that was what a really good moment for me. Not a good moment because I can see people that were really upset, but, oh, wow, this is what people thought of me when I was there. But while you're in the show, you're so paranoid. And I suppose it's, it's a bit like a bubble, isn't it? Oh. Everything must be heightened. Oh, my God. And you begin to see things that you wouldn't see before, question things that you wouldn't in reality. Yeah. So, of course, those relationships are going to be so important to you because they're really all you have. In the game, I try to separate the game from the reality. So I always told myself, good people can lie. And that's fine. I also didn't care about winning. Yeah. I just didn't care. 
I was really lucky because I obviously what well, I got kicked out in the first few seconds, first few minutes. What a twist! Yeah, it was horrible. Mm. It was terrible. <laughs> it, was, it was a twist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you. <laughs> yeah. I really am. It was a trauma, yeah. but I, I think that was a really lucky moment for me because I got to come back. And I got to see it from bird's eye view. And then I made a quick decision that this wasn't worth who I was. Like in terms of, yeah, I'm going to play the game, but why play it to the point where I compromise my morals? I'm not going to do that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you've mentioned that lots happened and yeah. you were tested. Yeah. Tell me a bit about how your faith came into play then in, in that. What the show's really good at showing is that Based on your demographics and things that you can't control, your actions are interpreted differently. So I'm aware as a larger black male, if I put myself in a circumstance where I'm lying, there's less forgiveness in that for those actions. I'm also aware of things that I do that might not have a sinister meaning may be interpreted that way. So I was very conscious about leaving how I'm seen by the public up to a TV show. And I also preyed on it. I have a keen attachment to my purpose. I do think that I'm supposed to be an advocate for people's health in a genuine and authentic way and health inequalities. And that was one of the things that made me say yes. And what's happened afterwards has made me realise that was a good decision and that was the best decision I could have made. And I'm just, you know, I'm fascinated by the, partly because I can completely relate to this, mm. this view that you are conscious of how you might come across as. One million percent. You know, and, and for me, it's a black woman. Yeah. Yeah. But also there's the intersectionality of being British-born or having yeah. grown up here, yeah. having had a good education, yeah. having a good career. Yeah. And all those things can confuse people's yeah. interpretation of who you are. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, also wanting to be authentic. So marrying people's mm -hmm. assumptions of you, mm -hmm. trying to make sure that those aren't true, mm -hmm with you wanting to be authentic as well. Yeah. And of course, all of us have elements that mm -hmm. are playful, sometimes childish, sometimes we get angry. Yeah. You know, one might call it righteous anger. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But how did that play into it? The perception of other people mm -hmm. and the authenticity you wanted to bring? The first paranoia is I don't want people to think I'm an, I'm an idiot. People are lying to me and I can't figure it out. Then I realised that the game in itself, the entertainment is watching us try to work out who it is and the audience being able to peek behind the curtain and have that bit of, oh, I know, it's obvious. But it isn't obvious because you're living it. You're living it 24-7. And I didn't want to maybe look made to look like an idiot, but I also realised that I had no control over that. And all I can really control is my behaviour and how I view things. If I don't let myself become paranoid or I don't let myself act differently to people based on something that they didn't choose or some of them wanted to be a traitor, then I could approach it with an openness and also, like, compassion. You can approach the situation with compassion. Mm. And, you know, you came across so well. Oh, and you. not only did you come across well, but you were dubbed the intelligent one, the clever one. <laughs> People said, we want to make sure that we consult Amos because he's the clever one, um, yeah. which was a sure thing that you were going to be voted out. Yeah, at some yeah, point. I was getting, I was getting, but, um, <laughs> but you know, a compliment, <laughs> nevertheless. Yeah, it's, it's a compliment and it's good and it's great. And I really get on with all of the people that I was on the show with, that all the traitors I'm good friends with, because there was us together and we had this experience and it's been amazing. And so many opportunities have come from it. But yeah, it, it was tough. You're a doctor, but getting that qualification was not easy. And I understand that you have dyslexia. Mm -hmm. How did you experience your dyslexia during your training, your career? 
I was only diagnosed with my dyslexia when I was doing my master's. It's weird that you mentioned that they consider me the intelligent one. I've always kind of thought of myself as intelligent, but I've always struggled with aspects of reading. So I just thought I had to work harder and I worked really hard at uni. And it was only my sister, who's now a teacher, but at the time she had just been diagnosed with dyslexia herself at university and said that I had a lot of the common traits. And so I got myself tested and I was quite significantly dyslexic, which makes sense. But as a child that's born abroad and brought here, they often think some of the slowness in reading is because I grew up in a bilingual household. And it was a relief being diagnosed because it's almost like having a superpower in terms of when you have all the software that helps you, it really does make you more productive. And I felt that since I had that diagnosis, my life has just improved and I've been able to do more and more. And I suppose having a superpower after actually a lot of difficulty. I almost look back a little bit on my time at university and realise it probably would have been easier if I had the diagnosis earlier. I think I w- it was mentioned a little bit, but I was too proud. And I didn't want to think I wasn't good enough. And you have a bit of imposter syndrome a little bit when you go into these places because I think there was 450 people in my medical school. There was only two black males in that year. Yeah. So you don't want to be the one that's picked out. And so I, I avoided it at all costs, but I think I really needed it. How did it feel finally kind of getting that diagnosis and what has it brought you? Once you've been diagnosed, things become a lot clearer. I'm sorry, I've got something called really good contextual learning. So if you give me a paragraph and you tell me about, about medicine, my brain is really good at guessing what the words are. That's how I got free medicine. So when I got diagnosed, I started noticing I did certain things. So when I call my next patient, right, it says, call your next appointment. Forever, I've always read that as call your next opponent. Always. I still do. <laughs> like Because my mind contextually goes, well, that's my next person's an opponent. And I'm going to see them. <laughs> so it just, well, it's a bit of a peek into how my mind works. Yeah. But it, it, I, I started noticing it and spreading it. And then all my friends looked at my texts and were like, we've known this for years. I'm, oh, so, yeah. I'm so glad you decided to voice yeah. note from now on. Um, because we have no idea what your plans were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that being a superpower mm-hmm. is also a way of saying, as somebody of faith, mm-hmm. you know, actually God made me... Yeah. this way and with all of the the complexities uh, uh, you know and the differences mm-hmm. and that's a good thing i believe in a divine plan i think things are meant to happen for a reason i think that struggle has added elements to me and my character which i think god already is the willing right so mm-hmm. i think that for me has made me more sure that there's a path here for me if that makes sense. It does. Because I think hardship is really important. It's where our faith gets sharpened a little bit. There's something, isn't there, about silently working extra hard mm. just to make it, just to survive. Yeah. You know, the kind of image of swimming, but underneath, you know, floating on top, but underneath your paddling. legs are paddling really hard. Yeah. And I get the sense as you talk about dyslexia that for a while it was a lot like that. It feels like you're running with a weighted vest on and you're keeping up and you kind of didn't realise you had this weighted vest on and then suddenly you throw it off and you're running a lot faster. And it's important to bear in mind that the reason why you can run a lot faster is because that weighted vest strengthens your legs a little bit. And it's to be celebrated. Yeah. Thank goodness, yeah. There's aspects of this actually that makes me good analytical thinking and abstract thinking. Um, it just means my brain was wired slightly different. Mm. And if we can link that to faith then, you talk a lot about faith underpinning a lot of your journey. Yeah. And I understand that you were brought up in a Christian home. Yes, I was. How has that shaped your outlook on life? Life is really difficult, right? And so I think that a life without spirituality is a more difficult life. I'm not deterministic, but I do think that 
in my life that God has always kind of shown me the way. I have free will, but I've always just let myself be guided by that process. It's weird because I, I think as a young man, I always talk about it when people ask me, but I never kind of say it. I almost... Don't volunteer the information. Yeah, not mm. because I'm embarrassed by it, more because I've always believed there's that song, they'll know I'm Christian by my love, just by my actions. If someone asks me about it, I'll talk to them about it quite openly. But I often think that the best thing I can do is to be who God wants me to be. Yeah. And try, because I don't think you can always be that person all the time. Yeah. But I think that the way you are should be self-evident. Yeah. There's something in that, isn't there? Yeah. It's very biblical as well. Yeah. You know, that kind of your actions demonstrate love, kindness. Yeah. I think that all, like most of what I believe, well, all of what I believe comes from the Bible, right? And all the lessons are, for me are there. I think I my path is quite normal, especially for Nigerian British people, whereby it's a very religious home life and then you kind of stray away from it a little bit and then you find a little bit of the important message in yourself one thing I find quite difficult is sometimes, especially in the African community, that religion can be used as surrogacy for psychiatry. And I find that really difficult because as a doctor, I think that really deep-rooted mental health issues are often kind of religion-washed a little bit. And that's one of the things that kind of made me, when I was younger, step away a little bit. I find it really difficult as a clinician to see how in some communities it was used as a way not to get people the help they needed. That was so, you know that is so interesting. Yeah. So this kind of idea that if there's a physical problem, yeah, you might approach that in yeah. a spiritual way. Yeah, and, instead and, of getting help from a doctor. Yes, and that's one of the things that I, I still struggle with quite a lot. I mean, I worked my first job was in Tottenham, and I found that so difficult around COVID, so difficult about the health beliefs. It's the lack of seeking help. It's the not understanding that somehow. God used, can use the hands of others to help you. And it, it, that found really difficult because you'd be speaking to people and you'd be telling them about the benefits of certain things and health and they would be leaning on the religion, which they should, but also not seeing the hand of someone trying to guide them into a better way of life. And it's kind of recognising, isn't it, that mm. there is a place for both of those things. 100%. So you get, if you have a physical illness, you get the support that you need from a GP 100%. or a doctor. And it's okay to pray as well. Pray that the you know the surgery goes well. Pray all those things. And I wonder, as you were kind of thinking about your role and medicine, mm -hmm. how your faith came into play there. Like, did you ask God for for help? All the time. I can't explain to you. Weirdly, in all of the places I've been to medical school, or studied, or trained, there's been a church by the place. I don't tend to normally go to mass, but I used to go and sit in quiet prayer in church all the time. And it would just be just a guide. It's something just to, to center me a little bit. Yeah. There's a power greater than myself. And yeah. therefore, what I believe is so important because I think that my religion has given me so much comfort in mm. difficult times and also comfort in great times and in some of the best times yeah. that you can ever happen. Yeah. Like... Um, even getting this job was probably one of the biggest achievements of my life. And there's been a lot of fear and excitement, but the comfort that I know that I'm happy as long as I live by some well, ethical and moral things that I believe are really important means that the external experiences, yes, they're great, they're amazing. And I do some of the part of my brain still goes, oh, yes, you've done this achievement, that's great. But I want to 
be centered and be happy in the fact that if any all that disappears, that if I'm a good person, I love my neighbor, that I've achieved some goodness there. Yeah, I can totally see that. And I also relate to the African Nigerian mm. upbringing of, of church being so integral mm-hmm. and Christianity being integral not only in mm-hmm. the way in which you live. Mm-hmm but also your language, your Mm -hmm. outlook on life. Mm -hmm. I grew up with that very phrase, life is not easy, Mm -hmm. several times. Mm -hmm. Life is not easy. easy. And um, you expect it almost. You Mm -hmm. expect the trials and the tribulations. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, God will prevail. That Mm. kind of narrative that God will prevail. And however difficult things get, you can have a personal relationship with God. Exactly. And it's also redefining what you mean by prevailing right mm. that for me is really important because i always feel like in my juvenile stage of christianity i thought the achievement in itself if for me god prevailing is oh my god you've got this great job blah, blah, blah. i think for me it's understanding that that really means nothing in comparison to what my character is and the, the morals i have and that is prevailing that's generally the thing because if you can have that like, in your heart then it doesn't matter what happens from this point on absolutely and There's something, too, Mm -hmm. about the personal journey. You mentioned having to find your own own way of worshipping, acknowledging God in your life, which may not be church on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. I can really relate to going into churches. And I often always find a church. I mean, they're not on my doorstep often. But wherever I am, I'll find a church, quietly go in, sit down, and just be still in all the busyness and chaos of life Mm. and take stock. And have that relationship with God that is mm-hmm. so deeply personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't need to share with anybody else mm-hmm. and isn't up for judgment. I didn't get to medical school the first time. And one of the, the times where, I know you should never do this, but I remember just before I went to take a shower, I remember praying to God. I was like, just please, if I get into medical school, I'll promise to do good and be a good person. I remember coming out of that prayer and being like, I'm going to get into medical school. And I'm being very much like, this will be all right. And that was that comfort, knowing that if this is for me, it will be for me. Yeah. And once I accepted that, that even if it took me 10 years to get there, I would get there. Yeah. And you say, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But in my mind, a relationship mm. with God is like any relationship you have yeah. with something you care about, someone mm-hmm. you care about, mm-hmm. heightened, of course. Oh, yeah. But there are similarities with that. And so, like relationships with humans, Mm -hmm. we attempt to be honest. We attempt to connect. And so saying, God, can you help me with this, please? And I will do this. It happens in scripture over time. And it is your deeply personal way of communicating with the creator. No judgment here is, I guess, (laughs) what I'm saying. And not only that, but I can relate to that. I think we have similarities in the fact that I do believe that I'm supposed to live a life of service and that's a really weird thing where people go what's your purpose and I think a life of service and I think that's one of the reasons why things are happening for me the reason one of the reasons why I got the Luton job is because I volunteered for service for free and they needed someone there and I didn't know they needed a doctor and they asked me because I worked for another team and it was because I was so willing to be of service I do believe that my life should be a, a service of God and God's will so that being at heart means the decisions become a lot easier. Let's move on to that then. Yeah. So you've recently joined Luton Town Football Club yeah. as their club doctor, yeah. which, as I said earlier, makes you the youngest first-team club doctor in the Premier League. Well done, you. Thank you. And I'm guessing this has been a dream of yours. Do you know what the weirdest thing is? It's a bit of a weird one whereby I'm that kind of person who sets targets, right? And this was a target for 10 years' time. So, no, genuinely, genuinely, I was ready to 
slog it out for the next 10 years. It was my next Everest. Wow. It was my med school. Honestly, yeah. I had my spreadsheets. I knew where I was going to be. Vision Hon- board. Did you have the vision board out? Honestly. And then I have some close friends and some close brothers. And we have like a Bible group and we went on a retreat together actually and at the time an Arsenal Academy job came up and I was working for Colchester at the time I was like I don't think I'm going to apply for it I'm not qualified enough and one of the guys said to me don't limit what God can do for you at the time and I was stuck with me because I didn't apply for the job but I was like oh it's a Premier League team I've not worked for Premier League before and when I got the senior job that same friend messaged me going you didn't just get a Premier League job you didn't go to the academy you went straight to the senior team and I always remember what we sat down with you we said don't limit what God can do because you are qualified you've done the work you've got the masters don't limit it and it happened and it happened and isn't there something you're talking about the ups and downs of life and trusting God that I found when I've completely surrendered Mm -hmm. you know like when I've free fallen yeah you know I remember leaving my role as an archdeacon Mm -hmm. and just turning to God and saying what next what now with no real plan and nothing concrete and thinking gosh I wonder whether in all honesty this is the very first time I've actually surrendered everything. Yeah. You know, it's something that we're constantly told in scripture to do. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, because so of life hard. and circumstances. So it, hard. <laughs> it's so hard to just be like, you're a doctor, you're going to be this, you're going to have a secure job, you're going to do this and this and then this. It was so hard for me to be like, do you know what? Let's see what happens and just go with the flow. And surrendering, it is surrendering because we do have some of, we got pressures from outside where we're supposed to be. I don't do well with uncertainty. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's probably why where my faith really helps me because there's an element of uncertainty because of the fact that life is uncertain, but there's also certainty in the fact that I know that I have a relationship with God. And so regardless of what happens to me, that provides a certainty there. Amos, have you ever had a period of strong doubt or losing your faith? Yes. I think for me, the pandemic was a very very difficult time um i lost my aunt who was like a second mum to me and it was also just a time of absolute chaos i also lost a colleague in the first couple of weeks to covid i think covid is really scary because people when it first happened would pass away really quickly in front of your eyes you'd be talking to them and they'd have died within a couple of minutes you literally go to the toilet and someone's literally dying and you're running around to get an ipad because no one's allowed in the hospital to say goodbye and, and you're holding an iPad to someone to say goodbye to the grandma and stuff like that. And you kind of feel like this is just chaos. This is just terrible. I think the most difficult moment of my life to date was, I still remember it because it was quite, yeah, it was quite hard. I remember when Boris Johnson was announcing the first lockdown and I happened to have a shift that day. So it was a weird thing whereby the whole nation was locked down but I was driving to work. And there was no one in the streets. Mm. I got to work like half an hour early because of the fact there was no traffic there. And I sat in my car and my aunt was really ill at this time. She hadn't passed away. I remember thinking, I'm, I'm genuinely really scared. Like at this time, we didn't know. We, like my colleague was ill as well. We, like I genuinely thought that I was going to die. It wasn't like a, oh, maybe I might die. I genuinely thought this disease could kill me. I actually remember thinking, my car, sitting in my car, and I don't know if I prayed, but I think I might have, which is, is this worth dying for? I'm not going to swear, but I remember what I said to myself where like, I was like, well, my aunt's in hospital. Would I want someone to be around her? And I just said, F it. 
And I remember just getting my car and just walking into hospital. I just like, don't turn around, just keep walking, just keep walking, yeah. just walking, just walking. Well, firstly, I'm sorry to hear about your aunt. I'm, my condolences and also your colleague. Mm. So when you were sat in that car mm-hmm. thinking, is this worth dying for? Mm-hmm. Was your faith in question at that point? In terms of what that situation did to show me what humanity is capable of, it's genuinely really good. It's really hard when you're in the eye of the storm to actually see it, but... Coming out of it's probably strengthened my faith. I often believe now that people are compassionate by nature and it's difficult to to not see that. When, when you're surrounded by people, even people with kids, young nurses who've got little kids at home who are taking that same risk with you, I often think, are people made this way or are they just innately good? And I think people are innately good. Yeah, yeah. thank you for that. Thank you. You were diagnosed with depression in your 20s. Mm-hmm. How have you managed that alongside becoming well-known and your medical career? I think faith is very comforting when it comes to mental health, and I think that's really important. But I also think sometimes it can be a smokescreen for actual change in terms of in communities. I know of people whose family believe that they're infected by demons or things like that, which I find quite challenging as a medic because I can't turn my analytical brain off. But that's not to say religion hasn't helped me. I think having a relationship with God and understanding that purpose is important and often my worst bouts of depression is when I'm doing things that are counterintuitive to my nature and, and what I believe my nature and relationship with God is that's that's probably when my depression is the worst so in that way it, I can see where that can lead you into that world but I think sometimes I rear a bit clear of people going well the cure for depression and the cure for this is bible and there's an element of both where they both can marry up and I think having and believing things are greater than yourself is so important to that but I'm aware that depression is something that I suffer from and it's something that I will have to continue to be on top of. And it's one whereby, as well as doing all the stuff like exercising, eating well, it's also being very attuned to my purpose, very attuned to my relationship with God and those two are intertwined. And that's an act of service. The best I feel is when I'm doing things to help other people. Genuinely, that's one of the reasons why I became a doctor. It's it's such a good answer. And actually your mental well-being and happiness are directly linked to your serving other people and loving them. How wonderful. When I choose a life which is selfish and self-contained that that chases money and chases status, I have a very miserable life. It's precarious, isn't it? Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, you're you're standing (laughs) on the edge of a disaster whereby if you choose a life whereby you try your best to do good and serve people, you choose a life which means you're living in accordance to your nature. What are your plans for the future? I genuinely want to be an advocate for people's health in a very authentic way. I think there is a generation of people from my background who have a chronic distrust of healthcare because they don't believe it serves them. And that's because it hasn't. And I'm very much about inclusive healthcare. I want health equality amongst everyone. I talked in the House of Lords talking about health equalities. If I can do it in that way, I will. I think I'm going to stay clinical. I've just come from my GP practice today, keeping an eye on doing that because you can do the things that you want to do. You seem unstoppable. I mean, I, I believe <laughs> you when you say that. Yeah, and <laughs> but it's okay if it stops. Yeah. That's the truth. The truth is yeah. it's generally okay if it stops. I would be sad in 10 years' time if I cared about things stopping because I think that means that I've stayed away from my nature and what God wants for me. Thank you so much to my guest, Amos. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Same as same. It's been amazing. Thank you yeah. so much. I kind of feel like we should just carry on. Yeah, let's do it. Let's All keep right. talking. Yeah, let's do it. How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs>
I'm Liz Adikunli, and this has been Things Unseen, the podcast for people of faith and those who are spiritually curious. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. Thanks for listening. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.